or fifth line in that verse. And if that had been too little. Do you see that part in your verse there? And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I'll come back to this part of the story and the message as I'm preaching tonight on the subject, I would have given more. I would have given more. Heavenly Father, I preach with a real burden, not at all discouraged, not at all down, but just, just a heavy burden, uh, Lord, desiring that our church will just continue to move forward. And Lord, we would not come to a place of complacency, that we would not come to a place of apathy, but Lord, we would desire to press on in the will of God. I pray that you would give me the exact words to say, Lord, as I'll be very transparent and very personal in the message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In so many ways, our church family, and our church is a family, we are on a journey together. Our church is more than a place where we come on Sunday morning to just sing a few songs of praise and to hear a sermon and then go on in our lives. Our church is different in that. We don't use church just to make our lives better, but our church is a family as it should be, and we're on a journey together as we live our lives in the will of God. As we rear our children, as we reach the unsaved with the gospel, as we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. We all have our own personalities, and I'm thankful for all the different personalities that come together and the power of the gospel and what it does. We all have our own needs. We have our own places of employment. We all have our own family situations, different ages, and yet we're a family working together to do the will of God for our lives. I believe our church family is very important at this particular time in history in our state and in our nation. May I say that again, please? I believe that our church is important in a particular time in history in our state and in our nation. And I come to you tonight with a burden of responsibility. Again, not at all discouraged, not at all down. In fact, I'm as excited or more excited than I ever have been in ministry. And I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. But there is a burden of responsibility that I want to share with you tonight. Let me illustrate with a personal illustration. I do not think that it is common or ordinary uh, when a church like ours experiences great and unusual blessings as we have experienced as a church family. For many years now, and now in this project, on this property, in these buildings, we continue to see the mighty hand of God in our church and our church family. We've seen our church grow in ministries. We've seen our church grow in spiritual influence and in every area. We've given much in recent years and we've prayed much in these past few years 
uh, everybody is given. We've had folks that are very limited in their income that have been faithful in giving. Our children alone have put uh, $20,000, more than $20,000 since we built that little church in that little church. We should have built it 25 years ago <laughs> and twice the size. Uh, I had no idea you had that much change in the couch cushions of your living room. But anyway, uh, we, our children have given more than $20,000. Now, as a result of our faithful giving and as a, as a result of our prayer and our obedience, God has given us several huge gifts that I cannot explain other than God just answering prayers. Uh, God gave $25,000 in a day that was just an amazing blessing on that day. Another day, a gift of $200,000 was given. Another day, and I was praying. In fact, we were on a two or three day vacation and my wife and I, and I was praying. And I just, uh, it, it was just amazing how that I prayed specifically, Lord, we need $400,000. We need this. Lord, please help us so we can keep building in our building. And uh, I received a, fo a phone call while I was praying and, uh, and, and received a gift of $400,000. Another time, and I'm just talking about in the last 12 months, another time, and all blessings are not financial. I understand that, and there are many blessings, but certainly we understand as we've been praying and giving, when a financial blessing is given and we use it immediately to go into the work of the building, it's certainly an answer of prayer from God. Another day, a $600,000 check came. Another day, a gift of $810,000. And then another day, a man gave me a check for one check for $1 million. I remember I folded it up, I put it in my billfold, then I got afraid that it would rub together and wipe the ink off of it. And so I opened it back up, put it back in the envelope uh, so the ink wouldn't disappear and I could get it home, get it to the bank, and get it deposited. And, uh, and, and it's interesting, they said it'll take a week to 10 days. And I go to McDonald's, it takes them about two minutes to take it out of my checking account. But anyway, that's just how it is. And all these things at all different times, and, and I could tell you stories tonight for a long time about how God has answered prayers and God has been so good to us. We've been able to help churches and missionaries and plant churches and in addition to all of this. The last three years have been just very uh, much of a blessing uh, in my life. Uh, although there have been trying circumstances and there have been burdens that have been heavy to bear. In fact, I could not have borne burdens that I've faced in the last three years without the real grace of God. But in these last three years, I've spent a lot of time in prayer. I don't know how many nights in prayer. I don't know how many uh, uh, times or uh, hours of walking and driving and praying. And I don't know how many times I've walked in this building and that building around this property asking God, please, Lord, let us to continue to build that we can continue to reach folks with the gospel. After the week that I referred to as Miracle Sunday just a few weeks ago, I experienced a bit of relief in my soul, and I enjoyed that. A great burden was lifted. God had answered prayers in, a, in an amazing way, and I was overwhelmed at the goodness of God. 
And I said more than once, I said, Lord, I just don't believe it. And uh, it wasn't that I doubted that God could. I was just amazed that God would bless me, that God would bless us. And I'm just, just, I've read about what God has done. And I've, I've read the stories and heard them all of my life uh, from churches and preachers, from men of God. But to see God do it, our children don't have to read about what God used to do. They sort of get the idea that God is alive and well today and God is answering prayers. And I'm thankful for that. And I, I'm just overwhelmed and a great burden was lifted. About uh, two weeks ago, maybe it was three, I was reading 2 Samuel chapter 12 because I use this as an illustration in a, another sermon. And while I was reading this passage of Scripture and uh, in uh, preparing for another sermon, within the reading I read the statements found in verses 7, 8, and 9. David is t- uh, Nathan is telling David all that God had done for him. And I want you to look at what he says here at the end of verse number 7. I anointed thee king over Israel. Now that's a big deal. For someone to go from a shepherd boy to a king, that's a big deal. Not only did God make David king over Israel, he said, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Now that was a big deal. Saul was no slouch of a soldier. Saul was a smart man. Saul was a wise man and he took his best soldiers to find David. And there were times that they ended up in the very same cave, in the very same place. And it was obvious that God protected David during those times of those close encounters. One of them in the story that we read in the message of this morning. Then he said, I gave thee thy master's house. Uh, he said, uh, you have uh, been given the king's palace. He said, I gave thee thy master's wives into thy bosom. Uh, David, even when he was a young man, he fought Goliath. And as a reward, uh, uh, he received a, a, a wife. And, and, and God had just blessed him in an amazing way. And uh, then he says, and gave uh, thee uh, the house of Israel and of Judah. He said, I gave that to you. Now what God is saying here, David, I don't know why you were enticed to sin. I don't know why you wanted something that you didn't have. I don't know why. I've been good to you. I've blessed you. Why would you take something? Why would you commit murder? Why would you commit adultery? Why would you do what you've done? But I want you to notice after all the things that God said he had done for David, the Bible says this. If that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. He is saying here such and such things. That means anything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The wealth in every mine. I like what the old preacher says. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills and the taters that's in the hills. He owns it all. And he said, David, I have given you these things. And if that had been too little that you became king, if it had been too little that you now live in a palace, you once were a shepherd boy, if it was too little that, that, that I had given you his house and given you his uh, 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 wives and given you the wealth and given you Israel and given you Judah, if that had been too little, I would have given you more. I would have given you such and such things. I would have given you whatever you needed whatever you needed. I would have given that to you. 
As I read that, it was at a time that I was pondering and praying about how we would finish this work out here. And I thought, as I looked through the three major things of the uh, parking lot and the uh, finishing the office building and then the furnishings for the building, that's a big building to buy chairs for over there. It's a big building to buy furnishings for. And, 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 and it seemed that God said to me in reading this passage of Scripture, I, I bless the church with the college. I, I bless the church with the camp. I, I've, I've given you 80 acres of property. I have showed you that I am able to provide as long as you have faith and pray and are, and are obedient. And I began to ponder and I asked the question, Lord, how are we going to finish? And I thought, how foolish of a question. We're going to finish the same way we got here. We're going to keep pressing on. I do think there's a time to stop and rejoice. I do think there's a time to, as I like that passage in the book of Nehemiah where he says, eat the fat and drink the sweet. And I like that. I do it. And yet we can never come to the place of being satisfied in our walk with God and our work for God. Are you with me tonight? God is not bankrupt. God is not low on funds. Inflation has not affected the God of heaven. He is not concerned about interest rates. He's not concerned about oil prices. He's not concerned about who thinks they're in charge in America. He's not concerned about who thinks they're the Speaker of the House or the Senate President. He's not, he's not concerned about that. He says to David, if that had been too little, I could have given you such and such, or you fill in the blank. I could have given you anything you needed to accomplish my will. Now tonight I'm burdened for our country. Please listen right now. I'm burdened for our country. Not just because of its condition and its needs. Hear this statement. I'm burdened because we're the only ones that have the answer. I'm not talking about our church only. I'm talking about God's people are the only ones that have the answer to meet the needs. And so it poses a question. Lord, how do I get it done? What do we do? How do we address the issues? How do we, I know what the answer is. We know what the answer is. We know what it takes to finish. We have to press on just like we've been doing. We have to continue to press on. There's nobody here tonight hurting because you gave sacrificially to the building fund. There's nobody here tonight hurting because you've been faithful in tithing. In fact, God's been good to us. He has blessed all of us in our faithfulness of our giving, of our tithing. He has blessed us in our extra giving. And because of that, God's blessed our lives. And he's blessed us in more ways than one. And sometimes we get to the place that we say, Lord, maybe I'm asking too much. Friend, you have to understand, what we're working to accomplish doesn't have anything to do with what you and I accomplish. It is the will of God. That's what we're desiring to do. We're desiring to make a difference for Christ in this world at this present time in this generation. Let me just give you four or five steps of my thought process as I came to what I'm preaching tonight. First of all, reading the Bible shows me my responsibilities. 
as I read the Word of God, I realize I have responsibilities. For example, I'm supposed to be salt and light in this dark, in this rotten, wicked world. That's my job. Doesn't matter how dark it is, my job is to be the light. Be careful about talking too much about how dark the world is. You may give a reflection on how dim the light is. Did you hear what I said? Be careful about talking how dark the world is and complaining, oh, we live in a dark world, in a dark world. Well, you and I are the light of the world. We're supposed to be salt and light. Reading the Bible tells me my responsibilities. I'm supposed to be a witness for Christ. I'm supposed to be a witness for Christ in my life and with my lips, in my behavior and what I say. We're supposed to be a spiritual conscience in this generation. We're called to an example for righteousness. And the Bible says that Noah condemned the world with his righteousness. You and I are never going to change the world by acting like the world or bringing worldliness into the church. If we're going to make a difference, we've got to be a little different. We've got to be Christ-like and holy and righteous if we're going to make a difference in this world. Reading the Bible tells me what my responsibilities are. Number two, my obedience to my responsibilities. My obedience reveals the real needs of our nation. The prophet said, mine eye affecteth my heart. When you go soul winning, when you knock on doors, when you invite folks to church, when you work to witness and win people to Christ, it lets you see the condition of, of our world. It's a scary thing. You see the condition of children, their minds, what they think, how they behave, what they do. It's a frightening thing in this world. We see broken homes and broken lives. We see the crime and the pain and the hurt that comes from sin. We've seen it this week. We saw it when we went in the homes that are filled with sinfulness. We saw it as we've been on the street and giving out gospel tracts and witnessing to folks. We've seen what sin does. I get so angry at those that promote liquor like it's a good thing. I get so angry at folks that promote alcohol like it's a good thing. Come with me and let's go down to the emergency room and let's see how good it is tonight. Let's go down to the funeral home and talk to the mom and dad that's preparing for the funeral of a son or daughter whose life was taken at an early age because of the sorry liquor. I get so tired of politicians talking about how they care about people and boast of their pictures at their bars and their drinking parties. Shame on you. Shame on you tonight. God help you. You're a sorry example to children when you promote that wicked stuff. We hear the cries of the hurting. Sitting in our church today, tonight, a man grew up in a well-to-do home. Mother and father owned a business. He had everything he needed. At age 12, his father went to Vietnam. The year was 1969. His dad was on a ship. He was on a supply team for our soldiers in Vietnam. He and his mother moved closer to family. He was introduced in the city to marijuana, to rock music, a street life, a life of sin that led to a life of crime. As a result of that, he robbed a bank and was arrested. He escaped from prison. He ran from the law. 
He robbed banks again. 42 years of his life was spent in federal penitentiaries. 42 years of his life. He was in what's called the hole. The hole in a high security prison house. One other cellmate in the hole. He hated Christians. He hated Christianity. When other prisoners would have a prayer circle and pray, he would slam his door. He would curse them. He would yell them at them and tell them to get out of his face. He didn't want to hear anything about God or Christianity. He was in the hole. He spent six months there. No outside exercise. In a small cell, his prison mate was listening to a preacher on the radio. He said, I didn't want to fight, so I didn't say anything about it, but I hated it. One night as I heard the story of redemption that God loved me, I was overwhelmed to realize that God would love somebody like me. He said, there in the quietness of my dark cell, I prayed and I received Christ as my personal Savior. He said, when my time was up in the hold and I went back to the cell, the same group of prisoners, they'd come to my cell to pray. They were expecting me to slam the door and curse them and run them off like I'd done before. But this time as they gathered around my cell, he said, I've got a story to tell you. He said, I heard the gospel. And a few weeks ago, I prayed and received Christ as my personal Savior. He said, those brothers in Christ shouted and rejoiced and celebrated in his salvation. It's a miracle that he is out of prison, but he is. Now, here's why I tell you the story. There's a generation of young people headed in that same direction tonight. I don't know how we'll do it, but somehow we have a responsibility to keep that from happening from as many young men and young ladies as we can. You see, life is more than the house you live in. Life is more than our mealtime family gatherings. I'm for that. I'm thankful for the house I live in. I enjoy the truck that I drive. I enjoyed the meal today at home. I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy sitting down in my living room and talking and laughing and having fun. I enjoy opening this book and I have all of my life in rearing my children, opening this Bible and reading the word of God and praying to my children. I enjoy that. Oh, but listen to me. God didn't save me and leave me behind just to enjoy those things. I'm a child of God. I'm the salt. I'm the light in this world. And I have a responsibility to care. I have a responsibility to make a difference. I have a responsibility to make that my business and do what I can to help them to know there is life in Christ. There is joy in serving Jesus. There is a reason for you to live more than drugs and alcohol. That brings me to my third point tonight. The need is far beyond our ability. And so we cry out in faith. Oh God, oh God, please help. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. Oh God, 
please help. Is that not what Daniel did when the need was beyond his ability? Is that, what not, is that not what Nehemiah did when the rebuilding of the city walls was not greater than his ability? Did he not cry out and said, Oh God, please give us wisdom and God, please forgive us of our sin. Please God work on our behalf. Esther cried out to God in prayer and fasting. Paul cried out to God because the need exceeded his ability and he needed the power of God. We live in a world today where people are lost without, without hope. Homes are crumbled or built on a faulty and a false hope. Our nation is headed away from God. Our educational system is pushing children further away from God. And there's crime and it increases by the week. It increases by the day. I read a story this weekend. A woman was beheaded on the streets in California. Beheaded. When you turn from God, you turn from law and order. For years they've cried, separation of church and state. Get that Bible out of our schools. Separation of church and state. Don't let that preacher in this building. I've heard them said, they've said it to me. You can't shove religion down people's throat. You can't teach the Bible in schools. And how many today are being taught pure foolishness and wickedness? Many not even going to school, but just watching videos and playing games being babysat day after day to receive money for the school system, but the children getting no education or worse, being lied to about history and our heritage. Oh, how we need God. You may say, I don't know what to do. I'm with you. I don't know what to do either, except I know there's a God in heaven. And I know that every time a people went to God and they said, God, we need you to move on our behalf. Can I tell you something? Goliath had terrorized the land. He was a champion fighter. Ah, but he came up against a young man that said, all Israel's going to know not about a, not about a slingshot champion, but all Israel's going to know there's a God in heaven. The king said to Daniel, can you tell me the dream and the interpretation? Daniel said, no, I can't. But there's a God in heaven that can tell you your dream and can tell you the interpretation. And Joseph was the same way. And he said to the Pharaoh, there's a God in heaven. Oh, how we have to come to the place that we realize we're not able. We can't, but God can. God, give us a people tonight who'll have faith in him that will go to God and say, oh God, please move on our behalf. The only end to what God can do. The only end to what God will do for us and through us is our faith, our prayer, and our obedience. You may say, I don't see any hope. Then you're looking out and not up. I look out, I don't see any hope, but God can. But God's not going to until somebody gets a hold of God in prayer. 
until somebody gives it what they have and we do what we can and we reach who we can, God can bring about a mighty move, a move of the Spirit of God that can bring a great revival in our land. I believe it with all my heart. Psalm 78 verse 41, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Limited Him. He'd already brought them out of the land of Egypt. He'd already given them manna from heaven and, rock, uh, and water from the rock of Horeb. He'd already worked more miracles than they'd ever seen in his life. And the Bible says they limited him. I'm preaching tonight. I don't want to limit God. I'm interested to know what God wants to do. What does God want to do in our state? What does God want to do in our nation? Mark 6, 5. He could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four statements and I'll finish. We have to press on and finish the work of this building. We have to press on. We have to continue to pray. I say this in all seriousness. Children, I want you to join this preacher one more time. Let's ask God for another miracle. You say, preacher, what do we do next? We'll ask him for another one. Let's just go ahead and let this generation know there's a God in heaven. I, I, I received a message this past week, and it was a serious message. And, and a fellow has a heart for God. He said, I'd like to sit down and, 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 and talk to you about fundraising ideas. I wrote him back. I said, sir, I don't know a thing about fundraising. Nothing. He said, we've built a lot of buildings and bought property. And I know we have. But it hadn't been because of fundraising. It's been because there was a God in heaven and a group of people decided we're just going to believe what God said, we're going to claim his promises, and we're going to expect God to work, and God has worked. Let's not quit. Let's finish the job. Let, 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 let's not just finish it. Let's fill it up. You say, preacher, how, how long are you going to keep going and building and growing? I want to keep going until Jesus comes or until I go to heaven. I don't want to quit. I'm afraid to quit. I don't want God to say to me, if that wasn't enough, I could have done such and such. You fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. You tell me what you needed. You tell me what you desired to do in my name. We're not building a name for Clay's Mill. We're not building a name for any individuals. We want his name to be honored and glorified. This is not an entertainment place. This is not a rock and roll show. This is not a place where, come, where folks come to church and get a little spiritual entertainment and feel good about themselves. We're still preaching that old King James Bible and preaching against sin and exalting Christ. And we need to finish the job. Let's not quit where we are. We have two church properties. They have to be maintained and cared for. I'm not asking you to give more. That's not at all what sermon's about. I'm not preaching about giving more. I'm, I'm preaching tonight. Let's press on. Let's just keep doing. Let's not look, sit back and say, well, thank God for what he did. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to just sit down and say, I think I'll just retire and praise God for what he's done the rest of my life. You know what I want to do? I want to praise God for what he's done the rest of my life while he keeps doing more. We've got to have faith. We've got to press on. We've got to keep moving forward. We want our bus ministry to continue and grow and our Spanish ministry to continue and grow. We have opportunities for other ministries. 
Children need more than church on Sunday. They're, 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 there's a need of education and, and the need is greater than our ability, but God can. God can give us a people that have faith in God. I'm concerned about this amendment that's on the ballot in the fall. Now, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about Christianity. I know what the abortion crowd's doing. They've got 20 million plus dollars. And they're working and marching like an army across our state, telling folks, those Christians are going to take away your right to abortion. I got a question. Have they forgotten what makes babies? Maybe we need to understand God didn't make us live like animals. God made us to live in a moral behavior of respect for one another. We're not supposed to live. Why in the world? Why in the world have we come to this place in our, in our nation today? Now, I want to tell you, the only hope, if we remain an abortion-free state, it will only be because God's people not only vote, but work. There's too many Christians afraid somebody's going to disagree with you. What are you going to do if somebody calls you a name? What are you going to do if somebody curses you? I look to see what, what they did to Christ. I see what they did to the servants of God that I might have the gospel. I'm telling you, we've got to take this matter serious. We have less than eight weeks to go. And if we don't vote yes for life, they're going to use our constitution to say they have a constitutional right to murder the unborn and use tax dollars to pay for it. Now that's wicked. That's wrong. Then last of all, I want to say these are not connected and really and the different things and yet they're all a part of ministry. America needs pastors. America needs men of God that will commit to a town to a people, and to a church. We need pastors tonight. We need preachers tonight. We need preachers in churches that have no preacher. We need churches in towns that have no churches. We need pastors. And for every ministry, thank God for every ministry, we need pastors tonight. God's correcting David through the prophet Nathan. And he says, if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. God's been good to us. He's been, he been mighty good. In many cases you can say God's been better to us than we deserve. I understand that. But it's not about us. It's about us having faith in who he is. And what he can do. Stand with me. Heavenly Father I pray that you bless the preaching of your word.